This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to On Texas Football. I am Joe Cook sitting in for Bobby Burton, who is on vacation this week. But the state of the program does not stop. And that means, as usual, we have Eric Nalin, publisher of Inside Texas, on to discuss the whole different world of Longhorn sports. So, Eric, what's going on? Where are you at these days? Uh, well, I'm in uh, Lake Tahoe. I took about, you know, a day and a half off uh, with the 4th of July, and it feels like I've missed out on all kinds of stuff. That's how how fast things move off season is not the same as it used to be. It seems like there's news flying every single day. And I, and I promise we're not going to talk about the Astros, even though it looks like we coordinated our, uh, our, our apparel today. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went back home, got some more gear. You carry the gear with you and my, my inside oh, yeah. Texas shirts are a little dirty right now. So when you're, we'll get to- when you're in California and you're a Texan, you're, you're going to have to represent a little bit. I like it when people see my license plate, you know, it's a, uh, give him a wink and a nod. I still, you know, I run into Dodger fans out here all the time and I, I apologize for them for 2017, but not really, you know, no, there's, there's no shame there at all. Especially I, yeah, let, let them, let them do that and enjoy their, uh, whatever tie their 60 game season title. So anyway, uh, we're here for Texas football. And since you and Bobby last spoke, uh, recruiting has still maintained its momentum for the Texas Longhorns, uh, three commitments in that time. Uh, the most important, we'll start there, or at least I think the most important is John Tay Cook uh, out of DeSoto, wide receiver on three consensus, number four prospect in the state, number one wide receiver in the state. And more importantly, these days, it's a, a head-to-head win for Texas over Texas A&M. Yeah, you know, I think Cook was uh, leaning towards Texas about as long as Arch Manning, you know, and I think he sees the same things that Arch does as far as just being the best offense for him, the best uh, best place he can develop. You know, he saw what happened with those guys at Alabama, and why wouldn't that happen? To se- why wouldn't the same happen for him at Texas uh, under Sark? But, you know, more importantly, not more importantly, but more importantly for right now, because he can't do anything until he gets to, 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 to school, is, you know, he's going to help recruit the class. And obviously people are starting to take notice of him. He's an outgoing kid. He's funny. Um and he wants to play with other really good like-minded players, and, and he holds a lot of sway. You know, Arch Arch has a, a lot of cachet, obviously, but he's in New Orleans. It's nice to have somebody, a, a voice in, in DFW, like Cook at DeSoto. Yeah, you mentioned the recruiting. Like, as soon as Arch jumped in, and we've mentioned this on Inside Texas a bunch, the Mannings and even Arch himself in Texas, as a result, knew how important adding them to the class would be because – and, and the Mannings knew that getting in at a certain point would allow them to recruit throughout a cycle. Uh, I think a lot of people have kind of discussed whether it be Quinn Ewers different. That was a week before signing day, Chris right. Sims way back when very late in the process, even Vince young was very late in the process. Texas hasn't had a quarterback like this, you know, this highly rated number one, yep. five-star plus to have a whole cycle. And that's why you saw the stream of commitments last week and the stream of commitments uh, that have continued as a result. Uh, and of course it, it, you mentioned that it's, they're starting to recruit already. They they're jumped in the boat. Jonte was already seemingly recruiting for Texas. And now he's one of the first things he's, he did was reach out to Anthony Hill on, on social media. Um, 
Texas has had – go ahead. No, well, the timing has changed for a lot of these guys. You know, you'll see them – they'll get in the class at the two different points typically, and one of them is at the end of June and July. We've seen that going back to really the 2020 class where, uh, you know, that summer got off to a bit of a rough start with uh, Vernon Broughton looking elsewhere and B. John Robinson looking at Ohio State. Remember, You remember that cycle well. It was, uh, it was a quite an exciting time on inside Texas mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but so the timing of Arch announcing and then coinciding with the rest of these guys is perfect because it gives them it gives them that long runway that you're talking about. And, you know, Malik, Malik uh, when he was jumped in in 2015, that was at the end of that cycle, too. So they didn't have much of a runway. So here they're lucky. But now, of course, they've got a, the, the coaches are going to have to really take advantage of it by winning on the field. Yeah. And, you know, official visits in the summer, all those different things that, that helps make this kind of the norm when it comes to quarterback recruiting. What about just the fact that you know, I know Byron Murphy's on the roster and there have been other guys from DeSoto to to make it to Texas, but to go and get probably the best prospect uh, in that DeSoto, Duncanville, uh, Cedar Hill, part of Dallas, that's not something Texas typically does. And they've had some help in recent years in, in being able to do that more and more. Yeah, they've had some hit or misses with those DeSoto kids, too. But, yeah, they, they you know, they've they've done, done well at times at Duncanville, but there was a long drop between Jaquinda Jackson and, and Cameron Williams. Uh, DeSoto has been a little hit or miss, you know, they missed on Shamar Stewart, but also got Byron Murphy. They were lucky for that because, you know, Byron's going to be a heck of a player. You want that presence. You have to, you have to recruit well in the hot spots, and they're going to have to probably figure out ways to crack into Houston with the, the same uh, sort of uh, uh, success that they have in Dallas. But, you know, long cycle left to go. Uh, I know spots are filling up pretty fast, but there's still a lot of excitement uh, rem- remaining. Then the, the next commitment was out of state, and this one was in the trenches. And, uh, I think I kind of likened it to, you know, Kyle Flood opened the door and, and Bo Davis then, then ran right through that door yeah. to get uh, Sadir Mitchell. And it's not just the the type of player they're getting, a very large defensive lineman, you know, almost 6'6 and in the 340 range, but it's who they beat to get him. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes we talk about hats on the table just being placeholders and, uh, just kind of there to make the process look good when you're on camera and on right. CBS. But those hats on the table that Texas that were left on the table when he picked up the Texas hat were Georgia, were Texas A&M, were Miami. And those were three schools that really wanted to add Mitchell to the class. But Bo Davis, Steve Sarkeesian, and of course, the, the wave of momentum helps out. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's fun to see Bo Davis and Kyle Flood working so well together because, you know, uh, Bo's done a lot of work on Kyle Flood's behalf with so many of the, the guys that they've looked at at offense, offensive line, both on, on both sides of the ball. Um, Going to probably come up short with Zalens Hurd, but but they they were working well together on that one. Yeah, Sadir's interesting because, you know, he doesn't test all that well, but then you see that short area quickness that he has uh, at his size and how light he is on his feet. Uh, I, you know, I, I think we're probably testing that guy the wrong way. It should probably nothing, nothing more than 10 yards over on an agility test for him, right? Everything beyond that won't really matter. But he's going to help you in, uh, control those interior gaps and make life easier for everybody else. But, yeah, it's a huge win. I think, uh, I think the market uh, of coaches is probably a little more accurate than us market of rankers. Uh, and, you know, it, they know what they're looking at. They get paid a lot of money to, to be able to evaluate. Uh, and Bo Davis, you know, Bo Davis continues to land those big bodies. And, uh, you know, they're, they're clearly guys like this are going to help them gear up for the SEC. And I, you always harp on fit, 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 fit. And yep. when you're eventually, you know, it may not look exactly like this this year with the two, four, five. But in the ideal world, that's what Pete Kwiatkowski r- wants to run. 
And if you're only going to have two down linemen, you need the big boys. And, sure. you know, obviously Vita Vea comes to mind from Washington. Yeah. And is yeah. that the, is that a similar vein you can see Sadir Mitchell being from? Yeah, he's just a giant wide body in the middle that's going to command double teams. You know, that's going to, you know, you need that to, to take advantage of everybody else, especially if you have a bunch of smaller guys on the field, if they do run that two, four, five. I'm kind of skeptical that that's going to be what they run uh, this season. You know, we've, we've mentioned that quite a bit. You know, if Moro Ojimo is playing Jack, is it really an outside linebacker? I, you know, I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, this is a, you have to compete in the, in the interior. Um, just like they're trying to get those bodies on the offensive line and they successfully got them last year. Um, and they got him again this year, just uh, maybe a tier below. Uh, but they needed they needed a nose tackle that they could come in and play pretty early because that 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 chart's gonna that's chart's gonna thin out pretty quick over the next year or so. Um, and I'm not sure you're gonna want Sadir Mitchell doing the same things that Byron Murphy is. You probably want to isolate Byron Murphy one on one and and get Sadir taking up space. I'm just thinking at nose. You know, you have to Tavondre Sweat. I think is going to be a senior. I think uh, Keandre Coburn's going to be a senior. Morrow. Moro's a senior, but he's been bouncing around. And, you know, the the depth chart is going to look a lot younger based on all the members of the 2022 class that, that came in and uh, are, are vying for, for playing time. And even some of those 2021 guys who, as long as they stuck around, are like Byron Murphy and others in his class. So, yeah, they definitely need uh, they need to add him. And But I think he – is he a, ty- a type of guy that needs a little bit more seasoning, like reworking his body, or could he be ready pretty early? Yeah, I mean, he's he'll probably take a little bit of time learning to play low. Um, <clears throat> but, you, you know, he, he can probably give you 10, 15 snaps early on in his career and then, then go from there. But, yeah, you know, I, since he's from New Jersey, I don't know him all that well as far as, you know, what, what his coaches think of him and – uh, sort of what, what what to expect him kind of like with Malik Agbo last year he's from from Washington we're like well if the guy loves football he's giant and moves his feet well so that gives him a chance you know and Sanir Mitchell definitely has a chance now it's up to him to, to make sure that he takes advantage Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Debit. And the third commitment from last week, also on the defensive line, uh, a flip, maybe not a pure flip, but a flip nonetheless, was uh, Billy Walton from, from South Oak Cliff. He was an Oklahoma State commit prior, yep. and uh, Texas put the gave him an offer in recent weeks, uh, pr- put some, uh, some strong recruiting efforts toward him, and, and secured the flip. What does it mean for Walton just to have him in the fold? And then what does it mean for some other recruitments? Because South Oak Cliff has – as we uh, like to mention anywhere. on Inside Texas, they, they've got a lot of talent. Yeah, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. They've got a tremendous coaching staff there. They've got tremendous support in the community. Uh, they're kind of the cool high school right now after winning state. Uh, so they're going to keep, keep uh, having – they're going to be stockpiled with talent for the foreseeable future. Wallace is, Wallace is uh, Walton's interesting. He's athletic for sure. He's got good motor. Um, he's going to, uh, he's going to need some time to physically develop, you know, uh, if they're going to play a two, four five, then, then, then he's probably got a chance out there, sort of like a Joseph Osai build, uh, not the biggest guy. Um, he's still getting more physical. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of his confidence came from this year. He saw a lot of improved play was he, he was starting to become more physical and just, just maturing, you know, they all mature at different ages, uh, high motor kid. Um, and then yeah, you know, they do need a presence at South Oak Cliff. They haven't had one in a while. 
uh, you know, also it doesn't hurt that he's cousins with Malik Muhammad, who they're still trying to, to, to get in the class. Yeah, this has been a, I think everything you mentioned, just kind of the revitalization of that program winning state. And like you said, making it a cool program, because that's not always the case yeah. for a lot of, you know, just DISD schools in general, but a lot of schools like that in the state of Texas. And, you know, he's going to be a, a high profile guy on that defense. Once again, there's going to be a lot of them, but it's nice to have someone yeah. going from wearing gold and white to, to burnt orange and white. Um, those are the commitments, but there's been some other uh, news, I guess, to say coming from some other top targets, one on the West Coast or more towards the Pac-12 footprint in Deuce Robinson. And this one you're going to have to explain to me because I know Texas has two tight ends committed already, one in Spencer Shannon from Modern Day and one in Will Randall from Isidore Newman. But thanks to the other Isidore Newman commit with Arch Manning, it seems like yeah. they're they're in it for Deuce Robinson, who on three has as the top ranked tight end in the country. Yeah, I mean he's he's a freak athlete. Uh, he runs he runs routes like Colin Johnson. You know, at, at his size, he's he's just a stud. So I don't think there's a whole lot of explaining there. Um, you know, he's, he plays more like more of an outside flex uh, sort of uh, like we've seen uh, you know Lincoln Riley do well with, and I think that's probably why he's so high on USC. Also, given that's proximity to, to where he lives uh, in Phoenix. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not getting too excited about it yet, but, you know, all you want is a chance. And if you get him to campus again, he visited last summer. He, he liked it, uh, according to people that were around him. Um, you know, I'm curious to see how much he cares about playing baseball. You know, obviously that would be a clear differentiator in, in UT's favor over USC. Uh, but how that how much that factors into it remains to be seen. I think I don't know much about him as a baseball player, but it's hard for me to think that his future is in that sport, given how special he is on the football field. I don't know. Six six two thirty is is a lot to uh, to work with when when you're a baseball player and you know his on three profile talks about Aaron Judge and then Julio yeah, Jones I'll, I'll and Devontae Adams. Judge, that'll be fun, you know. Yeah, but who knows if he's that? Who knows? I mean, we went kind of went through this last cycle with Robbie Snelling, and I think yeah. you and the Texas coaches realized that guy was going to hear his name called in the draft, but. Let's, doesn't let's sound forget, that way yet. Judge, have him come to Texas and be Ivan Melendez first and, and explore both options, you know? Maybe that'd be the best bet. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, Snelling, that was an interesting one. I'm like, I was like, what, you're left-handed too? On top of being an outside linebacker, you're left-handed, you know, you're throwing mid-90s? Uh, yeah, you're not a football player. <laughs> going to LSU? No, you're not. You're getting yeah. – you're going to the uh, – you're going to Birmingham or wherever yeah. the minor league bus sure. takes you. Yeah, the Durham the other uh, prospect that Texas has kind of made some waves in with in recent weeks is uh, Hunter Osborne, and he's from Hewitt Trustville, uh, the same high school as Justice Finkley. And Justice Finkley, we, what you and I talked about with that recruitment was it was books and ball for yeah. a highly rated prospect from Alabama. Uh, he had an Alabama offer, but I think wasn't it? It was Stanford and Texas and Alabama were kind of the last. Yeah, he liked, he liked Michigan, too. In Michigan, we're kind of the last schools remaining. Um, now they're after uh, one of his teammates, and a lot of that comes thanks to Finkley. Is he this, is Osborne the same type of books and ball prospect, and is he different on the field as well? Well, I mean, he's a to me, he's a longer version of Finkley. They play you – know, they're very powerful uh, players. They're physical players, strong hands. Uh, he's just, you know, got a lot more length, so – it's to me it's like if they get him, it would be like adding another Dylan Spencer, probably be a swing defensive lineman uh, that'll uh, uh, they'll play inside and outside. You know, that's why that's why I, I'm kind of curious about where they're actually going with the defensive line, uh, because a player like him, 
you know, you, you can stand him up and do whatever the heck you want with him, but is he really an edge outside linebacker? I'm not so sure about that. Um, but, you know, guys like him and Dylan Spencer are big, long, physical guys that are going to make life, life dif difficult uh, for the offensive line. You know, they're going to be tough to run on, and they're also long enough to, to get, it, get in the backfield and use that length to their advantage. Uh, as far as books and ball, well, he's, you know, considering Tennessee and Clemson on top of uh, UT, I think te Texas is probably the best school out of those three. I don't really get in all those rankings too much. Um, it's a lot of, uh, you know, measuring <laughs> of the D variety. So I don't, I don't care about that, but, um, you know, I, uh, that, that, that recruitment is really hard to get a handle on because, you know, he's a out of region kid and he's looking at schools all over the place. And, you know, everybody feels a little, has some sort of confidence about it. Clemson has a little confidence. Tennessee has a little confidence and UT has some confidence too. Uh, I think the visit had done quite well with him. I was a little bit surprised that they waited so long to offer him. Usually when they wait so long to offer somebody, they, they know something that you don't know and that's that they can still make a good run at it. So that tells me that there was confidence from the get-go. It's just a matter of, of when they really uh, heated up that recruitment. Took them a little longer to get started, but now they're right in the thick of it. It's hard for me to handicap that one. I haven't really talked to that, that kid as much as uh, Justin and Jerry. Um, but, you know, Texas, didn't, I think he's going to announce in August, so there's still a little bit more time for that one to play out. Exactly. And just looking at his on three profile, made June visits, like you mentioned, to Clemson, Texas, Tennessee, and that seems to be the – the three leading and yeah we're the other thing is and we're in a dead period right now so there's not anybody making their way to campus at this point but everything's right. pointing to a, an end of july barbecue um and it sounds like uh just uh, last thing before we move on to some of steve sarkeesian stuff it sounds like they're going to be maybe competing with some other schools on that date as well well, yeah, you can't just you can't just let go of that last chance of uh, of having a visit. I think they've probably been too relaxed as far as using that last week before, uh, and and AM uses it for a big official visit weekend. Texas is going to do more of a one day uh, unofficial. It sounds like, and it's going to set setting up to be a really good list. Um, but yeah, you know, you have to be aggressive year round, and I, I think um, you know they're not going to sacrifice that week, and they're going to take more advantage of it than they have in the past. A lot going on recruiting, but. Steve Sarkeesian kind of kicked off what everybody calls talking season. Uh, we got media days coming up next week. Then oh, yeah. Texas will have its local media days, all the conferences. Not much to talk about with conferences, but Steve Sarkeesian joined uh, Greg McElroy on his mm -hmm. new podcast uh, under Peyton Manning's uh, production company at ESPN, Omaha Productions, and spoke with McElroy kind of presenting – uh, a lot of what he had said in Texas at a lot of uh, Texas yeah. X's events, mm -hmm. kind of re rehashing a lot of that. And yeah. that's been, we've covered that on inside Texas, but there were some interesting things that, you know, that wasn't just about B. John Robinson being a great person or wasn't about, you know, recruiting and selling the high marks of the university of Texas. One of them was about coming in and leading a new program. Um, and he talked, you know, he always ref Steve Sarkeesian references very often, Pete Carroll and Nick Saban being his two mentors. And he mentioned one time about how with Pete Carroll, he learned a lesson that there's the way there's two ways to come in and change a program or take over a program. Mm -hmm. One is to kind of do the same things. Yeah. And the other is to just start brand new. There's benefits and risks to both. But one thing that Steve Sarkeesian mentioned that I think holds really true is that when you do some of the same things as the old guy. Well, remember what happened to the old guy. Remember why right. you're there. Mm -hmm. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian admitted that maybe he wasn't as quick to realize that 
keeping some of the old things wasn't the best way for him to get through a tumultuous year one. Yeah, it's an observation I made quite a few times. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to follow the guy that's on an upward trajectory. Obviously, that's no uh, no, no earth-shattering uh, declaration. But, you know, if you're going to be Ryan Day following Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley following Bob Stoops, it's, it's a whole lot easier than coming in and, and doing a, a full rebuild. You know, even Tom Herman at U of H had it a lot easier than Chad Morris at SMU, you know. Um, and so that's easier to just keep that continuity. Uh, but I think he was right that, that you know, he's got time. He, he knows he's got time from the, the brain trust above him to, to really tear it down and, and build it back up. And he's also catching a lot of luck from the, the new legislation that's out there as far as, uh, you know, the COVID year, um, the, the, uh, the ability to take more uh, players in the class. Uh, you still have to have that 85. You have to observe the 85 man roster, but you can take as many kids as you want in the class for the next cycle or two. Um, the portal, of course, has, has gone crazy. Uh, in his time here, so he's been able to remake the, sh- uh, the 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 roster a whole lot quick quicker than than, uh, than than coaches of the past. But yeah, you know, if you're going to keep doing what the same guy did, they, they might as well just kept him. Now, I think that you know Tom Herman probably left some things in better shape than it looked like last year, uh, but also the culture wasn't quite where they needed it, uh, and, and I don't think they did the greatest job of instilling it. There wasn't, you know, you saw some players loafing at times last year and. I couldn't believe they were out there the next series, series much less the next game after they were able to watch the film. Uh, didn't have a lot of options as far as replacing those players, I guess. But I think we're going to see a little bit different uh, this season. And obviously the team is much more bought in than they have last year. That's that's not just talk. I mean, we hear that from everybody we talk to uh, that's related to the staff. And I think it even comes through from the players talking on Twitter and wherever they're available these days. Yeah, they uh, he he mentioned about just player leadership, and that's something that we met we wrote about a lot on Inside Texas. The leadership groups and in making that uh, something that you know the players own and felt ownership towards because it, it didn't seem like there was much of that. And of course, you go with the the typical delta of a first year, the wild variances that you could have from week to week, and it yeah. turned into five and seven. Uh, so, but. Um, he's been the other thing that even without just not even looking at the substance, but substance, but the style and a lot of things uh, that he's done that has endeared himself to not just people on our board, but the fan base is just being refreshing, being honest. It doesn't look like he's putting on a front. Like it, yeah. it looks like what, when you're, when he's being interviewed and when he's talking, he means what he says. And and I think that's something that resonates, not just with the players in the locker room, but the people who uh, are fans of the players in the locker room as well. Well, I'm glad that video was out there because it was, uh, you know, very similar to what we'd seen at the Texas X's, uh, you know, all throughout the state. Um, you know, it's one thing when you see it in person, but you can't quite convey it. We tried to write up, you know, what he was saying in those, but when you can see it, you know, how self-aware he is, how situationally aware he is, how personally accountable he is, um, and just how genuine it, it just really comes across. And, and it's, you know, it's not hard to see why players like him. And I think, um, I think he's done really well to win over that locker room, uh, you know, within the last six, seven months. So another area that he touched on with, with McElroy um, among, like we said, you, you, you said it best, the Texas Texas tour, we try to convey it, but it shows up there is the quarterback uh, situation. Of course you have Quinn Ewers transferring in Hudson card still on the roster, Charles yeah. Wright still on the roster, Malik Murphy joining the program uh, during the, the spring and, the competition's open. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian doesn't bring in two for this season technically without, you know, wanting to up the level of that, of that room from mm-hmm. last season, but he still has to try and fit things a little bit different. I think anybody yeah. can tell that 
Quinn Ewers is a different quarterback than Hudson Card is a different quarterback than Casey Thompson, than Malik, than all those guys. Yeah. But there's really something really encouraging that he mentioned with McElroy is that he's done this in the past, that to go from Tua, who he mentioned had a lot of RPO stuff Mm -hmm. to uh, Mac Jones, who did a lot of play action. Yeah. He, He, what he harped on was that, you know, there's some intricacies that are a little bit different, right. but the foundation is pretty much the is very similar. It's just finding yeah. what, like all the positions, what the guy is best at. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the same playbook, but they're just going to emphasize different aspects of it more. And, you know, the, the Texas takeaway from that is, you know, Mac Jones is going to be more like Quinn Ewers from, from what he's talking about. And, and Arch Manning, probably Hudson Card would be more on the tug of Iowa side where you want to take advantage of the RPOs. But, you know, Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers have entirely different arms. He's going to look use the field a lot differently. And a lot of what Quinn is going to do is what Mac Jones did, play action deep, take advantage of it, a lot of option routes. Um, and then, you know, I think Arch Manning, you know, the, the quarterback evaluators I've talked to think he sets up to be about as good an RPO quarterback as you can possibly find. Uh, and so we'll see that aspect too. But that's not to say Quinn can't do one and, and Arch can't do the other, you know, because it does – you have to uh, you have to, to really take advantage of him. You have to hit those play action shots no matter who is quarterback. That was a big, big part of what Texas left, uh, left so many points on the board last year was not taking advantage of those, not nearly as efficient as they should have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's just a self-aware guy. He's not going to try to square peg round hole. Um, you know, I think we've seen that hard headedness out of uh, quarterback coaches in the past at Texas or head coach in the past. Uh, he's going to, he's going to play to their strengths. The other thing that he mentioned was, and this kind of goes into Quinn Ewers joining the roster Bijan Robinson is going to really be the the focal point of the offense, and and Roshan Johnson a little bit with them. And he talked about putting weapons around them, and that mm-hmm. to me kind of indicates a little bit more play action, Mac Jones ish. But I mean, there's still a long way to go between preseason camp and game one. But he talked about putting weapons around Bijan, and yeah. he definitely included. And this is something we talked about on the inside scoop. Uh, Justin Wells did the other day with Isaiah Nayor. And mm-hmm. basically it sounds every time that Steve Sarkeesian gets a chance to talk about Isaiah Nayor, he's always a little bit more surprised about what he learns about the Wyoming transfer. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have, um, you're going to have a lot of vertical threats out there that you can take advantage of in the play action game. Jaleel Billingsley is not your typical tight end in that regard. Uh, but yeah, Nayor, everybody we talked to about him is blown away by, uh, you know, just his, his mental preparedness, uh, his maturity level, uh, his willingness to work. Uh, but then also he's he looks like a million bucks and can run. Um, so you can you know play action him deep. You can even I keep hearing about Jordan Whittington running 22, 22 and a half miles an hour. Uh, we might see some vertical slot action out of him too. So there's a lot of play action opportunities uh, for the quarterback. Uh, and then of course Bijan's going to really be the one that drives that. So what he said on McElroy, we'll probably hear regurgitated a lot in in various forms, especially next week. Uh, when we get to Big 12 media days, yeah. we'll, we'll discuss Big 12 media days in a second. But, I mean, the biggest college football news of the past week was UCLA and, and, and USC mm-hmm. deciding to head north toward the Big Ten. Uh, kind of a, a, a debilitating blow towards the, the Pac-12, maybe a lifeline of sort towards the new Big 12. Uh, but all the reports, and I think even the official announcements mentioned that their first football season for the Trojans and the Bruins is going to be in, in 2024. And like we heard on the Texas uh, fight tour with the Texas X's, 
Like I interviewed, uh, or excuse me, Del Conte and Hartzell and Irving. Everybody involved with Texas continues to publicly maintain 2025. Inside Texas has heard different dates. Do you think this helps create a different date or the possibility of a different date for Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC? Yeah, you know, these are impossible to figure out because all the game theory involved, everybody's doing what's in their best interest. And (laughs) it's hard for me to know exactly what TCU's best interest is like they do. Um, As as much as the Big 12 schools, I think, are courting uh, the Pac-12 schools, I also think there are some that are looking out for their own self and and maybe they're reaching out to the Big 10 and SEC as well. Um, From the Texas standpoint, I'm curious to see if, if, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 kind of merge in in some, some way. Uh, you know, what corporate entity takes over that? What happens with the contracts? Is this a, is this a get out of get out of jail free card for Texas? I have no idea. But, you know, now now what we know is there are even more lawyers involved than there were before. Uh, and it's just going to be impossible to see how it all unravels. One thing that will be interesting to see is next week, whenever Big 12 Media Day starts, new commissioner Brett Yormark. Uh, I don't think it'll be Bob Bowlesby. I think his days are done with the conference. So he's going to be you know, right in the firing line when it comes to answering all these different yeah. questions. And I bet he, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry he's in with, with rock nation and now the big 12, he understands how to play hardball. Um, and he did with the nets way back when he was there, I think their COO or CEO moving them from New Jersey to Brooklyn. So I don't know if they're going to get a, a nice guy on the opposite side of the table from yeah. them, Texas and Oklahoma, but maybe this helps the circumstances of them, Helps them get out a little bit earlier. But Big 12 Media Days, uh, we have uh, – it was announced today that not only are Bijan Robinson, uh, Xavier Worthy, and DeMarvin Overshone, uh, all Big 12 uh, preseason selections, and Bijan Robinson is the uh, preseason offensive player of the year. But Texas also announced who's going to be going there, uh, along with Steve Sarkeesian, to be available to the media the offensive guys make sense. It's it's the two running backs, Bijan Robinson. You know, this is where Heisman campaigns tend to begin. Yeah. Uh, Rashawn Johnson is the team leader. I don't think there's anybody who would question that among the 85 or the 115 or the coaching staff. The other two were were a little bit curious in in Demarvian Overshone and Ovi Agofu. And Overshone, I think, makes sense considering there are a lot, not very many you know experienced returners who are. I guess, good, above average to good from this defense. But a Gofu seems like the curious one. What are your thoughts on those two guys from the defense making their way to, to Arlington next week? You know, part of it makes me wonder if it kind of, it's tied to some of the schematic things we've talked about. Of You know, those guys being out on the field together uh, instead of, you know, last year it was uh, just one or the other a lot of times. Um, you know, a Gofu would come out if the nickel came on. Um, now, you know, the, one of the differences we heard in the spring is, you know, they'd be, both be on uh, outside edge opposite of each other. And so I wonder if they feel that they have some confidence in this upcoming scheme and they're kind of foreshadowing uh, uh, some breakouts for these guys because, you know, they're, they're both very athletically gifted. They haven't always played great football, uh, but they do have potential and upside. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's always good to highlight edge play because it helps you recruit better. Um, but, yeah, it was a little interesting. You know, DeMarvian hasn't been very consistent. Um, but I think they're going to let that guy play play athlete position instead of linebacker position. I think we're going to see him, him probably have his best year. Uh, you know, I know that they've had some uh, confidence in uh, Jalen Ford and even David Benda, uh, having them do more of the dirty work and letting DeMarvian, you know, come off the edge a lot more. So uh, I think it's I think there is a there's a there's a signaling here of, of what's to come as far as this, the scheme goes, uh, even though it is a little bit surprising. 
But the other thing with DeMarvian is if you look at pictures of him from this offseason, he looks like he definitely bulked up. And part of that makes me think that inside linebacker, he's going to be a little bit better suited for it. But I don't I think the issue, granted, he was sometimes not physically capable in between the tackles, but uh, it was sometimes assignment stuff. And I think it sounds like from what you're saying that there's going to be some you know, be an athlete, go play football right. type yeah. assignments for him. In your ears back a little bit more. That's not to say he's not going to play some traditional off the ball linebacker. Cause we haven't really, you know, we haven't put our own eyes on it. We're going by what we've heard. Um, but yeah, I think the, the plan is to, to use his athleticism uh, more so than, than it's instinctive play. You know, it's, it's, it's a hard position to play. You've got to understand where the blocks are coming on so you can defeat them. Um, you know, you want that guy running in space and running free and, and, you know, they, they like his ability to pass rush, you know, he's flexible and he's quick. And then with Ovi, in my experiences with him, at least in the media setting, is he's kind of a quiet guy. And at the same time, some of the media settings that they put him out for was after really tough losses or uh, just kind of, you know, mundane middle of the week things. But what what makes him the choice instead of someone maybe like, I don't know, Keandre Coburn or even Deshaun Jameson or Anthony Cook or Jade Barron? Like there are some decent players on this defense who they could have chosen but they go with a gofu who's only been there for one year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's curious. I, I don't have the I don't have the exact answer for that. Um, but you know, there aren't there aren't a, a lot of surefire. Oh, this guy should obviously be there. It's not like there's you know anybody was left behind. If somebody else would we might find that curious. You know, um, Anthony Cook doesn't talk a lot. You know, uh, you know maybe Jaron Thompson. He's he's probably the most vocal guy on defense. So he's in a he's in a battle to even start. You know, so. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be more, I guess the, the, the big surprise would probably be Jalen Ford not going, but he's still a little green too. So I think they're, I think they're kind of hinting towards some, some uh, interesting scheme stuff here that they're going to try to highlight these guys. One last thing on big 12. And it was uh, someone who was picked as the newcomer of the year with players like Xavier, or excuse me, like maybe Isaiah Nayor, Ajay Hall, um, Quinn Ewers available. The, the preseason media went with, Dylan Gabriel and that seems like a curious decision to me because it's not just preseason play of the year it's preseason Oklahoma's future kind of depends on him being upright this entire season yeah you know I'm not I'm not super versed on him I have watched him uh, from a skill standpoint I you know he doesn't I don't find him all that imposing Um, you know I've talked to some of the people that portaled out of there um, and they weren't super high on just the offense in general, not necessarily him, but where the offense was. They think that the offense is going to struggle this year, uh, certainly compared to previous seasons. So, yeah, I think that's a little bit surprising. But, you know, I think uh, I think us the writers came up with that, right, not the coaches? Correct. Yeah, well, we're just a you know, dumb group of guys talking back and forth, you know? Hey, as Ian pointed out, there are three centers on the preseason All Big Twelve offensive line. So they're finally getting their due. Hey, <laughs> the innov- their Big Twelve's the hotbed of innovation, right? For football. Yeah. So uh, anything else? Just got uh, you know, want to remind people about Inside Texas. You can get a seven day free trial right now uh, by going to Inside Texas. We've also got some uh, a, a promo with with Paul Wadlington and yeah. his Thinking Texas Football. If you purchase sure. a copy of that, there's a promo for a half off an annual subscription um, of cor- and then of course subscribe to on texas football bobby burton will be back soon uh, make sure you have notifications on and uh, go ahead and give us a like on the video so anything else eric nope i think you covered it buddy all right for eric nalin i am joe cook thank you for watching on texas football